Praise God. It's, uh, it seemed like just yesterday we were bringing in the new year, 2019, and what are we, four days away from Thanksgiving. It's just crazy. <laughs> See some of you shaking your head, just smiling and knowing, wow, Thanksgiving is, is right around the corner, literally. Um, and if you're like me and you do a lot of online shopping and you look at your emails, you get all of these emails about all of these uh, pre-Black Friday specials and if you're like me, you're probably game planning on, hmm, am I going to buy this online or am I going to go out and deal with the crazy crowds and all of those things. And as I look at all of the electronics as a gadget guy, and I have my dad to thank for that because I love gadgets and electronics. And so every time I get something from Best Buy or something like that, I look and oh, look at that. Wow, that TV is not that expensive at all. You know, do I need another TV in the house? I don't know. And, <laughs> right? and it's like, yeah, I think I do. But where do I put it? Well, it doesn't matter. We'll move another one out in the storage and then we'll bring a new one in and have a backup or something like that. Or, you know, see if I can somehow, you know, fit a large TV in the bathroom somewhere, maybe take down the mirror and I'll be all set. You know, and, and, and as I was looking at those prices, it's amazing to think about how far We've come with technology over the many, 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 many years. And if you look at some of the prices of TVs nowadays, and they're not as expensive as they used to be when they first came out. And I started as I was thinking about this, and for some reason I was just dwelling on this a lot, and I'm not sure why as I started kind of praying about, Lord, why are you having me dwell on this? This is not the first time I've gotten, you know, pre-Black Friday sales and looked at electronics. But then I started thinking about to a few months ago um, on our trip we took to Disneyland. And not having to worry about whether or not I have my camera with me because I knew if I had my phone with me, I've got everything I needed. And just walking around the park, I was observing that there weren't that many people that even had a separate camera. Most people had cell phones. The only people that we saw with cameras usually were, you know, my mom has a nice <laughs> camera, dad had his camera. And then we saw the most of the staff in Disney that had cameras and they were going around and taking photos and everything like that. And I just started thinking, I said, wow, it's amazing how much we rely on technology to solve a multitude of problems. And when that happens, we end up becoming a little bit spoiled thinking about um, how convenient technology is. You know, I can go get a whole turkey dinner at you know, Walmart for, what, three bucks, throw it in the microwave five minutes later, hey, I got the turkey dinner. Now, obviously, I wouldn't stick a full-blown turkey in the microwave. That wouldn't work out too well. And I wouldn't recommend that you do that either. But things can happen so instantly that we're never surprised by anything. Uh, anytime I'm shopping for a phone now, it's not really looking at what are the greatest cool features. It's really how much faster does it perform than my current phone and what does the style of it look like? Because there's nothing that comes out now that shocks me when it comes to technology. And oftentimes when we look at that, we think if technology can solve a problem, then why do I need to go to God for anything? Because technology will solve it. And so when we stop looking at and being shocked by what technology can do, Oftentimes, we don't think that God can perform miracles. And the reason is, or when we start thinking about this, we then look at situations that seem like they're impossible, and we just think, well, if I can't buy a piece of technology to solve that, then it can't be solved. But we don't think that, wait a minute, God can actually work miracles. And miracles still do happen. And so today's, the title of today's message is, Miracles Do Happen. And as we listened to the song by Alvin Slaughter earlier, The Wonders of His Hands, and one of the things that, that was talked about in that song is the sands that God has built in the desert, the seas, the ocean, us as human beings, as a creation, we are a miracle of God's hands. But oftentimes we don't look at it that way. So today we are going to talk about how miracles still do happen. Webster's actually defines a miracle as an extraordinary event 
manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. So if we believe in God and we know that God exists and that God does intervene in human affairs, then there's no reason for us to think that God can't perform any type of miracle, whatever that miracle might be. So to set the stage, let's take a look at uh, one of my favorite scriptures here. And it's Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to go to verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, because we're going to set the stage just for a couple of things as we look at a few different miracles in the Bible. Now, we know one of the or the greatest miracle to ever take taken place is the birth of Jesus Christ and how Mary was pregnant with Jesus uh, baby or excuse me, with with Jesus. And he was born and he was. And and the reason why that was the most important one is because that has given us the access to have eternal life and spend eternal life with God. Okay, that was the most important miracle. But we're not going to discuss that one just yet. So Jeremiah chapter twenty nine, verse eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. If you don't have all of 11 underlined, underline all of 11 and really double underline where it says thoughts of peace and not of evil. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and go and pray to pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Underline all your heart. Fourteen, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Okay. In verse 14 there, everywhere you see the word, the words, I will, I want you to underline that because that's God telling you he's going to do something. Okay. In other scripture there, God says, my word will not return unto me void and it will, it will, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it will carry out as uh, everything that I say and as I please. So whatever God says is going to, is going to happen, it's going to happen. And then in a little bit here, we're going to look at some, some familiar scriptures where God spoke and things happened. But it's important to understand there, especially in verse 11, is that the Lord has thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us a future and a hope. This scripture there is something that I have hanging up in my house by our door going out to our garage. So every single day that I go out, I see that I found a nice little plaque in a, in a, in a store and I hung it up over there. And it's a it's a good reminder even to me that no matter what I might have going on, that God has nothing but good intentions um, for my life. So whatever I face when I walk out that door, whether it's something in the office, something somewhere else, I know that God is allowing me to go through it, but he has good intentions for it. There's a reason why I'm going through whatever that situation is. And he doesn't he's not doing it in a way to punish me. He's doing it to build me up. Okay, he's doing it to build my character. He's doing it to strengthen me. He's doing it so that I rely on him. And so I have to remember that, that no matter what goes on, he has nothing but thoughts of peace and not of evil. So if we can remember that, then we can also remember that as bad as the situation might be, God has a miracle that's in store for us. So as we set that stage there to understand that God has nothing but good intentions for us. He wants us to have peace. He doesn't want evil things to happen to us, even though they do happen to us, because that's just a, a it's just a result of navigating this physical world. And as long as the enemy is allowed to navigate this world, the Bible says that he's the prince of the earth. 
um, the ruler of this age. As long as he's allowed to do that, we know evil things are bound to happen um, in and around us and some negative things do happen to us. But God does not intend it for it to be that way forever. He intends us to rely on him so that he can bring it out of so he can bring us through it. We're going to now look at something that we've seen and we've heard ever since we were little. Okay. And oftentimes we we take it for granted. One of the things that God has done, that's a major, major miracle. And you probably know what I'm talking about when I give you the scripture. And we're going to go to Genesis one. Genesis one, one. Okay, a nice, familiar scripture. One that at times we just kind of overlook. And so we're going to spend some time going through going through this scripture here. Genesis 1 1. It's right in the beginning of the Bible in case you get lost. Amen. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Underline that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Underline all of verse three. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. Underline that it was good. And God divided, divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So God said, let there be light. And what happened? Light came. Okay. In verse one there, we see the in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If anybody ever, 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 ever tries to tell you otherwise, clearly they've never picked up the Bible and even cracked open the first page because this is right in the beginning of the Bible. Very first book, very first chapter, very first verse in the beginning. It didn't say somewhere in between. It didn't say somewhere towards the end of a certain century. God created the heavens. It said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, verse six. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Underline said, then God said, let there be a, midst, a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Then God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And underline this. And it was so. Verse eight. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Start to see a pattern here. God says, and then it was so. Then verse nine, then God said, once again, underline said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so underline. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters. He called seas and God saw that it was good. Underline that. And God saw that it was good. Okay. So now what you start to see here is God is on a few occasions now. He's saying, let this happen. And then it's happening. And it's saying, and it was so, which means that it actually happened. And what we read in earlier in in, uh, Jeremiah 29 there, God was saying that I will do this. Okay, you will be found by me. I will bring you out of captivity. And in here you see right from the very beginning, God said, let there be light. Light was there. God said, let the waters be under the heavens, be gathered together in one place. And it happened. So as you starting to see here in in Genesis one, God is saying and things are starting to happen. 
And we're going to keep going on here because there's more to this and more things that we want to make sure we understand when it comes down to God working miracles. Okay, Uh, verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its own kind, whose seed is in uh, is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth brought forth grass. The herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Underline there in verse uh, verse 12 at the end where it says, and God saw that it was good. Okay. so the evening and the morning were the were the third uh, were the third third day. Excuse me. Say that ten times fast. Okay. so every time you go out there and I think about the cherry tree that I have in the in the backyard there. Um, We've got this huge, huge, huge cherry tree. If I took that cherry, one of the seeds from those trees, and I planted it back there in the yard, what's going to happen? This cherry tree is going to sprout up. Okay? Why? Because that's the way God designed it. God designed these trees and the grass to yield it to to, to grow based off of in and of itself. So that means that nothing that man can do is going to reverse course that God has set forth. Okay? And that's important to understand because. That in and of itself is a miracle. God understands how much havoc would it be if you plant a cherry tree seed and you have an apple tree grow up. Okay. Or you have a pear tree grow up. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not what I put in there. Okay. So if man could go in there and uh, and undo what God has done, which we know is not possible, then it just thrusts the world into utter chaos. Okay. And we can see some of that stuff in um, in politics today. All right. And you look at some of the laws in some of these states, how it is getting it's gearing more and more towards just lawlessness and and, and not wanting to uh, put certain structures in play. And it's allowing uh, criminals to, to get away with things. I mean, and this is all stuff that you can read and read in the news. So this is not a political opinion or anything like that. But you can see where there are certain crimes in cities and states that are now they're saying, well, these aren't as severe. You know, one of them I remember was around um, uh, theft, and there's a there's a threshold of, uh, of if you steal under a certain amount, you won't go to jail, you won't be arrested or anything like that. So now there's organized crimes that are taking place where people are blatantly going into stores, grabbing items of that price range, taking it outside in the parking lot, and actually selling it. Okay, and those things are happening because we have more and more lawlessness that's taking place. And so if if if, if and we know what God says about laws. Right. We know God put laws in place. And so if we try to undo the things that God has done, it's going to bring about chaos. So even just something as simple as God creating these different trees and the different grass to grow and bring fruit according to its kind, that in and of itself is a miracle. And there's a reason behind it. Oftentimes we look at those things and we take it for granted and we think, ah, it's no big deal. But see, God looks at those little small things. Those little small things matter. Okay. Little small things matter. How many times, um, you know, you've you've heard me and you've heard Pastor talk about um, um, going to God for just like something as little as I can't find my keys or I got to hang now. We were working on something yesterday with a washing machine. And I remember even leading up to that, just praying that, oh, Lord, I hope this goes smooth because the installation instructions talk about lifting the washing machine up. And neither one of us were up to the task of picking up the washing machine. And so I said, Lord, could this work? Could this work? And he said, yeah, try laying it on its side and doing that. I don't know. It took us 10 minutes or something like that, 10 or 15 minutes to install 
install something on the washing machine that probably would have taken, I don't know, an, an installer. I'd probably have to pay him an hour's worth of labor just to do it, um, even though it was that simple. Now, something like that, as minor as that is, okay, but that's just the way that, 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 that I try to rely on God for everything, as small as it might be, because I know that there's a reason for it. And if I can go to him for those little things, when those big things come up, I'm not going to be, you know, laying in the bed, not wanting to get out or, or, or crying. Oh, this is not going to work out. I can't believe this. I got this and I got that. No, because I can remember, well, God, if you thought that that little thing that I asked you to do, as petty as it might seem, if you thought of me that much to love me, to deal with those little things, then why would you leave me hanging on some of the larger things? And the larger things are the ones that bring about the more stress and the more worry. So I know that you'll be there. So all in all, what I'm saying is all these little things that we see here matter. They, they, they all matter. And we can't overlook them and think that eh, it's nothing and just poo poo them because it's not. There's a bigger purpose for it. OK, um, where did I just leave off here? Let's go back verse 14. Then God said, we see it again. God said. Let there be lights in the firmament uh, of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the lights and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Verse 17, God set them in the firmament above the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the night, uh, rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. Underline that. God saw it was good. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every living thing, underline that, and every living thing that moves, which, uh, which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Once again, underline, and God saw it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So then again, we see there in verse 21. OK, uh, uh, it's a 21. Yep. God created the creatures and every living sea, which moves uh, with with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. So God created all the living things in the sea, in the air. OK. No one else, nothing else. It was God. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't some big bang that took place and all, the, all of a sudden the earth formed and the universe formed and creatures and, any, and everything formed. If there was a bang that took place, it was simply the bang of God's booming voice when he spoke that caused everything to come into existence. But it wasn't just a random two particles decided to collide because of whatever reason and then boom, everything formed. That's not it at all. And we can see that here. And as we go through Genesis one, verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each thing according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God, once again, I'll underline. And God saw it was good. Verse 26. This is where we start to come into play as human beings. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Underline all of verse 26 and verse 27. Okay. A few key key things there. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Okay. Now, we know God is not a physical human being that has a body like we do. God is a spirit. So when God says, let us make man in our image, that's he's talking about the true us, which is our spirit. Our bodies that we have is the is the transportation mechanism, if you will, to navigate this earth. But our spirits, we are created in the image of God. So when you think about those times when you might be feeling down. Or when you if you know someone that likes to spend money on physical things and they want to get the biggest house and all the cars and all of these things, what they're trying to do is they're trying to fill a void that is there because we are of God. We are created of God's image. We are a spirit. That void is something that can only be filled by the Holy Spirit. So when people start putting their money in, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to buy nice things. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, you know, wanting to have a large house or a nice car, et cetera, like that. And that's a separate, you know, a separate service uh, around, you know, what your true motivations are for doing that. But you cannot fill those. You cannot fill that void in your spirit with physical things of this world. That's why the Bible talks about lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and decay can't touch it. And I'm paraphrasing that there. Um, but that's why the, the Bible talks about that. And so because we are created in God's image, we have. Have this spiritual connection to him that if you're not saved, you don't understand why there's that void and why you don't get that that happiness that you're looking for. And oftentimes what you will see is you will see uh, people that like to travel the world a lot of times. One of the reasons why they're traveling the world is because they want to learn about all these different cultures and they want to find out, well, what makes these people over here so happy? What makes them so happy? What makes them so happy? And then they try to incorporate, incorporate those things in their life. But the problem is it's missing one key thing, and that's God. Those other cultures don't have God. In them. And if you look at some of those other cultures, I remember from, uh, from some history classes. Um, that I had in school over the years, a lot of them will put their their happiness into other into other things. Um, I remember uh, reading about a, a gentleman that was uh, 107 years old um, at the time. And they asked him, well, how do you live so long? And they said, oh, a lot of laughter and a lot of alcohol. It's like, oh, OK, a lot of alcohol. Huh? Interesting. But science says, you know, differently about what alcohol does to the body and tearing up the liver. And there's a lot of people that will sit there and say, oh, well, if I want to live long, I'm going to go to the store, buy every single piece of alcoholic beverage there is. And I'm going to drink because it worked for him and it worked for him. Not once did he mention anything about God. OK. And then we take that information and we don't realize that, no, the only way that we can live a truly joyful and successful life is to have God in, in, in us at all times. And to fill that void with the things of God, not with the things of man. Verse 26, we also see here, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over all the cattle, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we're on this planet and we're walking around and we're 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 we're, we're navigating. We have dominion over everything that's on this planet. Everything. There's no reason for us to be afraid of a tornado warning that might come about or a hurricane warning. Now, the 
don't be silly. Okay, if you live in a hurricane area and you see something about a hurricane and they're talking about evacuating, don't sit there and stand out there and say, oh, God is with me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here because you could be doing those things a little bit foolishly. You definitely want to heed some of those warnings and pray about it. And God will definitely tell you what to do. So don't think that having dominion over this earth means you just walk around puffed up and prideful in yourself thinking that, oh, I rule this earth. This is my plan that I run everything around here because it just doesn't work that way. Okay, what that simply means is that we don't have to be afraid of anything that, that that's on this planet, uh, whether it's weather related, whether it's animals or some other uh, some other creature. But we also have to be smart and use and use wisdom. OK, in verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. OK, uh, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And underline this, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every uh, every living thing that moves on the earth. So there you see God is now telling mankind, not only did I create this planet intended for you to have dominion, I am telling you to go and have dominion over it. So what this simply means is that we already have dominion. We already have victory. So that means then that when we're thinking about, well, is God going to perform a miracle in our life? Well, yes, he has. Oh, yes, he will. Why? Because we've already have the victory and we already have dominion. He didn't say subdue it. And at some point I may give you dominion over it. He says, have dominion over it. If I give you my keys and I say, oh, go ahead and take my car. I'm not giving, I'm giving you permission to go ahead and take the car keys and take my car. I'm not, at, I, you don't have to come to me and say, Brandon, can I take your car? Well, there are the keys. Go ahead and grab it. I'm telling you, have the car. Take the car. The example that Pastor was using uh, was the last week about a car dealership calling you up to go pick up a vehicle. Unless you get there to get that vehicle, you're never going to get it. And they're calling you to tell you that this thing that's yours, it's ready for you. All you got to do is just come and get it. You don't have to come there and show up and say, yeah, so I got a call about a car. Uh, can I can I have it? It's well, yeah, I'm calling you to tell you it's ready for you to pick up. OK, so we already have dominion, um, dominion over the earth. And we're just going to stop there. We know what the rest of the scripture goes on um, in terms of God creating the creating the earth. And then when he created Adam and Eve. But something we don't realize is this planet that we're moving on. OK, it uh, in and of itself is a miracle by God. And I'm a numbers guy, so here's some geeky science stuff and math stuff that's going to come about because we take we take navigating this planet for granted. The same way we take breathing for granted, the same way we take walking for granted and all the things that we do, we take for granted. OK, the Earth is tilted at a twenty three and a half degree angle. Twenty three and a half degree degree angle. Now, I don't know what angle I'm standing at, but obviously it's not twenty three and a half degrees. If you, if you see me standing here, I probably wouldn't be able to stand that way. OK, the Bible talked about early in Genesis about making different seasons. OK, and, and having the seasons be as a sign for everyone that's here. That twenty three and a half degree angle is, the, is what allows us to have four seasons on this earth. The twenty three and a half degree angle as it rotates also around the sun allows it for wintertime to be in one area while it's summer in another one, spring somewhere else while it's fall in the other one. And it never deviates from that 23 and a half degree angle. May not sound like a big deal. Couple that with the fact that the Earth also rotates at 1000 miles an hour at a 23 and a half degree angle going around the sun, not coming close to even contacting it or any other planet or even the moon for that matter. And how could you not think that God's creation isn't a miracle. 
I was flabbergasted when I read that. I didn't realize the earth rotated that quickly. A thousand miles an hour, and we don't feel it, not, a, not even a single piece of it. But it's all because of the miracle that God created on this earth. Okay? If you think back to, I don't know, for me it was in elementary school when they, when they were always talking about, oh, the natural resources of the earth are going to go away and we're going to be in some trouble. And, you know, what are we going to do with this? We'll have to fly to the moon or something or, or go inhabit another planet. There's a reason why other planets aren't inhabitable for humans, because I believe God made this planet strictly for us. And because God has got all of these great miracles, as we see here in Genesis 1, on how he created the planet, I don't believe God would ever put us in a situation where we run out of the quote unquote natural resources of this planet. God knows that if we ran out of those things, we'd be in some serious trouble. He loves us. We're his ultimate creation. Why would he then put us in that situation? Okay. so understanding that. The earth that we take for granted, navigating, breathing, the grass and the trees that we see, the animals, all of this has a purpose. And the purpose is for us to have dominion over it. All right. Later on there in scripture, um, in verse 29 there, God says there, uh, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields the seeds to you. It shall be for food. Also to every beast on the earth, every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Notice every single time in there, God said, and it happened. Not only did it just happen, he looked at it and he said it was good. And we know on the seventh day that God ends up resting there. Um, And we can just jump to to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 there. Um, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had uh, created and made. Okay, so there what you see is God on day seven looking back at this. And like we do when we admire our work, we don't admire our work because it's, oh, I didn't think I could do that. It's what was in my head, how I pictured it is physically in front of me. And that picture in my head matches what's in front of me. And so as God is looking at all of this, it's. In my vision, I have this vision of the earth looking like this. I say it one time, it happens. Nowhere in scripture did he say, ah, that didn't work out too well. Let me go ahead and redo that. He didn't redo it. He got it right the first time. So we have to understand something. When it comes down to miracles in our lives, understand that what we're going through, God is going to get it right the very first time. So if you think that just because God brought you out of a situation and that new situation doesn't quite seem to be what you think it is. God didn't make a mistake. There's a reason for it. Pastor last week was talking about, are you there being at your there? Well, when you get to your there and then that becomes your here, that here is going to have challenges with it. God didn't make a mistake by bringing you from where he brought you. God didn't make a mistake when he brought, brought um, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's captivity. They felt like it was because they weren't understanding that God is then going to grow them and allow them to be challenged. OK, and we know we know where that story goes. So we can see that miracles started well, well beyond before uh, we were even before we were even created. And they still continue to happen. Let's look at a couple of other familiar examples of some miracles and turn to John chapter nine. John chapter nine. And we're going to start in verse one. You know, and if you think about even the history of the Bible and how many different authors were. How many different authors were involved in writing the Bible, the actual physical you know, writing of the Bible and over the years and how everything is connected. 
that in and of itself is a miracle. If you can look at if even see how scriptures from way back then are still applicable today, that in and of itself is a miracle because because God just knows God in his infinite wisdom knows and he's the ultimate orchestrator. So John chapter nine, verse one. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, underline blind from birth. And his, di- his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Underline, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Underline that, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So that miracle that you're waiting on, understand that you might not be doing anything wrong. You might not be doing anything wrong because Jesus says there in verse three, the works of God should be revealed in him. So when we think about even our purpose in life, our purpose in life is to glorify God. And so one way that we glorify God is when we allow God to actually work in our lives and actually allow him to bring us through these uh, these trying times. And if you notice something here, he was blind from birth. Okay, so that means obviously he was born blind. And we'll look at the scriptures a little bit later as we go through this and, and we watch what Jesus does. The reason why we also have to believe in miracles is because when these miracles take place, that's typically how God gets the God gets the glory. Now, what do I mean by that? How many times do you ever tell somebody that you lost something in your house and you prayed about it and God helped you find it? Amen. Not very frequently. All right. Um, because those things were just like, oh, yeah, OK, it happened. It's no big deal. But what we start telling people about. Is the time that you look at your bank account and you had five dollars in there and you had a bill that was due next week. And then you walked out to your mailbox and open it and you saw this official government uh, envelope. Then you're like, oh, God's Department of Revenue. What's this all about? And you open up that envelope and in there is a check from your tax return from two years ago where they made an error. And they actually refunded you more money from two years ago that then allowed you to pay that bill. That's what we always talk to people about. We don't ever talk about those little things. And so God understands that. And so. If we don't think that God can do something major in our life, how else can we make sure that he gets the glory? OK, so this is one of the reasons why you see here he was blind from birth, because Jesus knows that this this little baby being blind from birth, what I'm about to do to him in terms of healing him. God's works are going to be revealed through that. OK, so let's read our verse three again. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, a good question you can ask yourself is, are you the light of the world as well? Okay. if Jesus is in us and that light should be shining, one of the most powerful prayers you can you can pray every morning is, Lord, let the light Christ in me, let the light of Christ in me shine for all to see. And you'd be surprised how people will. When I think about people that don't really don't really know me and I watch how they act around others and how they act around me without me having to say anything, you can see that there's a difference and they know something. And I'm not bragging on myself or anything like that, but I, I, I like like every other Christian, I try my best to live a godly life as, as, as much as possible all the time. And through through those things and through that prayer, Lord, let the Christ light in me shine for all to see. People can pick up on that. And they'll see those things. And I guarantee you, if you sat back and you thought about some of the people in your life, you'll see the same thing where over here in this group of people at work or somewhere, they'll be talking about something here. And you'll kind of listen and say, hey, like, 
hmm, I wonder why they don't pull me into that conversation. And then all of a sudden, when you come around, their tune entirely changes altogether. Okay, that's why. All right, so as long as we are in this world, we also have to make sure we're the light of this world. Verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of uh, Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Underline that. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen uh, that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. So what you see there is some people are looking at this miracle and they're saying, is this the same guy that sat and begged? And some are saying, he seems like him. No, he might be somebody else. And finally he said, no, that was me. Okay, I've gotten healed. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Underline that where it says, so I went and washed and I received sight. And also underline where it says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. In verse 12, then he said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So you see there that Jesus gave him a direct commandment, if you will, gave him an order, go to the pool and wash. And when he went to the pool and washed, the miracle was completed. So when you're waiting for this large miracle to take place, one thing you have to remember is follow the directions that God has given you. Because it doesn't make any scientifical sense, scientific, I don't even know if that's a word, but we'll, we'll just say it is, okay? And I'm thinking it's not, everybody's looking at me, but hey, it's okay, right? This, it, it doesn't make any scientific sense, okay, to spit on the ground and create clay and put it on somebody's eyes and have them receive their sight. If you walk into a doctor's office and he, and he said, oh, I'm blind, I can't see, they're going to start talking about laser surgery and all these other things, and then you have to go check insurance and all of that. There's nothing scientific about what Jesus had done, but it's the miracle in him saying that I need to work what God is telling me to work. And then through this, God gets glorified. And by the way, just because I put this clay on your eyes, it's not done yet. I need you then to go over to the pool and wash your eyes. OK, so he did that. And as you can see, he he uh, he brought out his sight was actually restored to him. OK, so that's just one of many miracles. We'll look at a couple of more here. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, and we're going through these, and there's there's so many miracles in the Bible, we wouldn't have enough time um, to go through all of these things, but if you look at what we've talked about so far, right, and establishing that God has nothing but good intentions for us, as we saw in Jeremiah 29, right, so knowing that whatever we're going through, God intends for us to come out of it on the positive side, and that he's working it for our favor, God created everything that's on this planet and everything that's been in existence for a reason and for us to have dominion over it. That's a miracle. The fact that these scriptures are things that we can relate to today in 2019, as far back as they were written, that's a miracle. The fact that the Bible over the course of many, many years and many, many authors who have put pen to paper, if you will, to create the Bible, that in and of itself is a miracle as well. So verse, uh, what do we say? Luke chapter 13, verse number 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, underline uh, on the Sabbath. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. 
And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Underline that spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. I'm going to pause there for a second because you see there in verse 11 where it says spirit of infirmity. OK, I'm not going to get too deep into this today because that could be a separate message in and of itself. That's a reminder that the things that we go through are driven by what happens in the spirit world. OK, so you have a sickness or something like that. Don't be so quick to just dismiss it as eh, it's because of the people that were in my office that are sick. Some of that could be physical germs that are passing around. But when you have certain things, it could very well be that there's a spirit of infirmity that's operating. All right. Um, and, and we know that, that God gives us the, the authority through his name and through the power of the Holy Spirit to bind up these, these forces of evil there. Um, but just don't forget that the things that we deal with in life aren't always because of the physical. It's all being driven by certain things in the spiritual in the spiritual world. And we know that the Bible talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we know how that scripture goes. So this is a reminder of that, that there are forces of darkness that are at that are at place. So a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Underline that you are loosed from your infirmity. You notice that Jesus is talking in the past tense, meaning that as he's done speaking, she's loose from her infirmity. Not you will be loose. Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. Verse 13. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made upright and glorified God. Underline verse thir- that in verse 13 and glorified God. Again, when your miracle does finally manifest itself in the physical Be sure to glorify God as well. That's important because through that glory there, the 18 years that she was um, in this 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 awkward position and couldn't raise herself up and dealing with this infirmity, she glorified God. And now everybody knows that was around her knows, oh, you weren't healed because of something that a doctor had done. You weren't healed because of a certain exercise program that you are you on. You were healed because God touched you and because Jesus said you are loose and laid his hands on you. So make sure we also glorify God when miracles take place. Verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and he and uh, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. So there you see they're trying to uh, come after Jesus now because the Sabbath day is supposed to be a day of no work. And they think Jesus is not supposed to heal on the Sabbath day. But look at his answer. Verse 15. Then the Lord ans- the Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or, the ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? That's a great response there. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done uh, for all the glorious things that were done by him. So as Jesus is saying here, well, wait a second now, I heal this woman on the Sabbath and she's been dealing with this issue for 18 years. How come I can't do that? But you can go loose your ox when it's stuck, stuck in a stall or when you go to take them to get water. OK, so what does that mean for us? That means that there is no day of the week or no, no hour of the day or no time of the year where God is not willing to work miracles in our lives. 
It's not just on a Sunday when you go to church and you're praising and worshiping, you get that goosebumpy feeling from the music and from being around other believers. It's not just when you're on your knees and tears are flowing down your face because you've got all these things going on. It could happen at any time. So don't put God in a box and think God is only going to work six days a week. Or maybe he's only going to work Monday through Friday, eight to five, because that's what the working world does. No, God never sleeps. God never rests. God never tires. He will work a miracle no matter what. And as you see there again there with this whole story, 18 years she had an infirmity. What that also means is there's no length or limit to when God may deliver you from something. So you may be faced with something. Oh, we're at, gee, this thing's been going on for six months now. Oh, God must not be listening. He must be off doing other things. Mm Mm-mm. There is no time. There's no telling how when God is going to step in and actually deliver you from that situation. Just remember, he chooses that at his time for his glory and his honor, not for your, your glory and not based off of your time. Last few scriptures here we're going to look at. Let's turn to uh, Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. And we're going to go to verse 25. Mark 5, verse 25. Another familiar scripture here. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, underline that, 12 years, and had suffered many things for many physicians, She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. I'm not knocking doctors and science, okay, because they they have their place. But at some point, and sooner rather than later, especially if you have some sort of physical ailment, whatever that might be, okay, whether it's something with bones, ligaments, some sort of sickness, cancer, whatever it is, you have to believe that God can heal you. Okay? You can see here that she spent everything that she had, and not only does it say that she didn't get any better, but she actually got worse. Be very careful when you're running to doctors about something. Be very, very careful. And again, I'm not trying to knock doctors or anything like that, but use some Holy Spirit wisdom and guidance. If you've got something and you feel like you've got to go to the doctor with it, especially when it's something that, you know, is beyond, you know, just something that, that can be handled by medicine, let's say, you know, a cold or something like that. If you have something that you feel like is really, 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 really serious, be sure to use some Holy Spirit wisdom about whether or not, one, you do go to a doctor, and then two, which doctor you should go to, okay? Just be careful about that. Verse uh, 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came, be, uh, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Underline verse 28 here. For she said, if I only may touch that, his clothes, I shall be made well. For, if I, for she said, if I only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So there you see, she's, she's tried everything to get better. Nothing has gotten has helped her. She has gotten nothing but worse. She heard about Jesus and she just had the faith in, the, in, in her spirit and in her heart to know, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. 
If I can just touch his clothes. In um, some translations, you'll say that if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Okay, that's the kind of faith that we have to have when it comes down to looking at miracles. Twelve years she was dealing with this. And then she just said, oh, there he is. If I can just reach and strive and just touch that garment, I'll be made well. And if you could imagine the multitude that was following Jesus, this is not one of those. Okay, I'm just going to walk 10 feet and go touch him Oh, and be made well. No, this is having to fight through a crowd. This is I would imagine she's probably dealing with a lot of pain and everything as she's going through it. She was fighting and fighting and clawing and trying to get through there just to touch him. And when she did, she was made well. In verse 30, and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the magnitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? So his disciples are like, really? You're going to ask this question? You see all these people around, right? Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's probably touching you right now with, 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 with this big crowd and banging into you and everything like that. And you're asking me that. And he looked around to see, uh, see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Underline that. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So there you see there, again, she just had faith. And she knew that if I can just, it, it doesn't make sense for me to touch his robe. It doesn't make sense for me to put my hands on him. But I know that if I do it, I'm going to be made well. Okay. So if we know that we just go to God and if we just strive to touch the hem of his garment, uh, uh, figuratively speaking there, and know that we'll be made well, then we'll know that there is nothing that God may direct us to do or nothing that we can't do that will bring up about a miracle that may seem to be unexplained. Does that make sense? So the same way that Jesus told the man that was blind, just go in the pool and wash up after this, after he put the clay on his face. She said, if I can just reach out and touch him, I'll be made well. We got to be again, we got to be careful and use wisdom about who we speak to when we have situations going on, who we go to for advice. And when we get that advice, whether or not we should actually even use that advice. Um, I remember when uh, my son, well, gosh, he was well, my wife was still pregnant with him and went through regular sonograms and everything like that. And they called up and said, oh, yeah, you know, looking at the sonogram, we wanted you to do some special testing. I said, oh, why? Why is that? Well, I was looking at the sonogram. We noticed that uh, your baby has a, a light on his heart, which means that he's probably going to end up with Down syndrome. But we have some further testing to do about that. I'm like, hmm, OK, listen to it. And I could hear my wife uh, overhear the conversation. And she said, no, I'm OK. And on the phone, they were trying to just employ. Well, because here's the things that could happen if you raise a Down syndrome baby. And my wife said, listen, I'm not going, period. Thanks for calling me. But please don't call me and ask me about this again. They got off the phone. And we talked about it after and said, all right, so what do you think? And she said, I don't feel like there's a need to go do that special testing. I said, OK. I said, why? Because I just don't feel like there's a need to do it. I feel like that he's just he's going to be just fine. And this is technology. Technology is not perfect. And I sat there and I thought of my spirit and I felt my spirit. Yeah, we're not going to go. And so we didn't go and we prayed about it. And he was born. Not one problem. But see, they wanted to send us all the way up to Portland, which we live, you know, 45 minutes away, if traffic is good from the location that they were going to do the testing. So it probably would have translated to two hours. We made up in our minds. We said, you know what? Thanks, doctor, for the report. But the report that we choose to believe is the report of our Lord. So we took that information and we just prayed about it. Lord, here's what the doctors are saying. 
But we know Dr. Jesus is more powerful than Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so and these millions and millions of dollars of equipment. And we prayed about it. And he was born not one issue whatsoever. Amen. Matter of fact, when we went to go do the next sonogram, which wasn't scheduled for like several months, and they looked at everything, they said, oh, yeah, everything looks fine. And I remember my wife asked us, how did his heart look? And, she said, and they said, fine. Why? They look kind of puzzled. And so she said, well, the last one we went to, they said that there was a light on his heart, and they thought he may have had Down syndrome with that. And the nurse looked at it and said, I don't know who told you that or why they even told you that, but there's nothing in any of these sonograms that even remotely resembles a light being on his heart. His heart is perfectly fine. Matter of fact, here's a picture of it. Okay? So we knew, we knew that if we take it to God, that even in that moment, it's not like in that moment we, we, we weren't kind of hit with an initial shock. But it was in that moment it was like, no, we, we know who God is. We know how he operates because we've seen all the miracles that he's performed in our lives. And, you know, we had ours. This was, he was our second child. And so uh, we knew some of the things, even with Chloe, some of the miracles that, that, that were about when she was born as well. And some of the challenges that she went through and that God delivered us through it. And so we knew that he wasn't going to make an exception just because we have a, another baby, just because he's a boy and she's a girl. We knew he wasn't going to do that. It was... This is a child. This is one of my children who's being born to another one of my children. I'm going to make sure he's taken care of. So we need to remember, again, that miracles do happen. But we have to understand that everything that God has created is all for our benefit. Everything that he has done that we read in Scripture is for us, not only for us to be victorious, but also for us to return the glory to him. So that we can tell others about the miracles that he's done not only in our lives, but the miracles that he can do in their lives. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you face that person that says, eh, it's Monday, it's Monday, tell them, like, yeah, and it's good to see you. Okay? Because they're coming into work and they're complaining about being Monday, but there's a whole lot of people that are on the street living in tents that wish that they can go to the job that some of us are going to. And if you notice with those people, too, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. They'll complain about something. Oh, it's Monday. Oh, it's Tuesday. Oh, it's Wednesday. Yeah, half a day through the week. Yeah, but it's only Wednesday. It's a slow day. And then Friday comes around. Oh, it's Friday. Yeah, but I got so much stuff to do before the weekend. I got all of this during the weekend. It's like, what? And then Monday comes around. How was your week? Oh, it's never long enough. You just had a four-day weekend, you know, (laughs) and those kind of things. And those people will always complain. And you will hear them at some point say, well, I'm here. And to those people, I've said to them, too, I said, yeah, and, it's, and be happy that you are, because I know I am. And they look at you kind of funny, like, mm-hmm. you're breathing, right? Yeah, that's a miracle. You're alive, right? Yeah, that's a miracle. That's something to be happy with. Oh, I guess, though, if you put it that way, you know. And then lastly, Thanksgiving being on Thursday. If you ever, ever, ever look back at your life and can't think of something to be thankful for, just think about some of the things we talked about today. Some of these miracles that Jesus performed in the past, God's ultimate creation, us, God's creation of the earth and the, and the universe and how all of this just fits together and there's no issues or anything like that. And everything is kind of autonomous, if you will, because I know Thursday for us, when we get together as a family, we go around and we say what we're thankful for. The hard part about it, the hardest part of that for me is figuring out which thing that God has blessed me with do I want to share today. So make that your mission as well on Thursday when you're giving thanks to God. Don't make it be like I don't have anything to be grateful for, or thankful for. Make it be about which one of these millions of things that I'm thankful for should I share today.
Amen. I pray this message has been a blessing to you. Now, let's be, uh, as we prepare to close, let's honor God with our tithes and offerings.